Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been a while since I've gotten to see you and uh, you to see me and all that stuff. I'm, I'm actually slightly less pasty white than I was before, you know, coming back from the beach, so that was good. Uh, but I'm glad, glad, glad you are here. Those of you online, thank you for being here. So I just wanted to tag for a minute off of what Pastor Nick said, because uh, we may have missed how important this is. Our church has the responsibility and the opportunity to provide 150 backpacks for students in our community. And I just want you to understand, like, this is such a huge deal. A backpack it might seem like just a backpack. It is not to the student that it's handed to. Right? Them walking in feeling good that they have something that wasn't used five years ago and is, has holes in it, is ripped up and all that stuff, that's kind of a big deal. Right? Because some have the opportunity to walk in with a new thing every single year. Uh, a lot don't. And this is our opportunity to say, hey, you matter just as much as everybody else. And so here's the good news. We have, as of going into this morning, I asked Pastor Nick to make sure, we have, as of walking in here, 72 backpacks out of 150. That's good. The bad news is we have one week left and we still have 78 to go. All right, so here's what I want to ask you to do. You can buy a backpack. Right? You, you might have to do a little side gig or something, you know, to make it happen. Sometimes Laura and I do that. We're like, how are we going to do that? I don't know. We'll figure it out. But you can buy a backpack. Some of you can buy two. Some of you can buy five. Right? So here's what I'm asking you to do. There's a QR code right there. This is my permission to you to get out your phone. Scan it right now. Here's why. Because we are going into this last week. And Pastor Nick, here's the conundrum. We're like, how many backpacks are we going to get? Well, we trust God can get 150 out of our church. Amen? We can do that. Right? But what we need to know is we need to definitely next week on Sunday the 13th, we're taking all the backpacks in on Monday the 14th. And we need to walk in with 150 backpacks because they're counting on it, right? And so what we're asking you guys is what can you do, right? Don't feel pressure. Don't feel guilt. Just if you can get a backpack, if you can get three backpacks, you can get 10, whatever, it doesn't matter. Just do what you can do. That's fine. That's all we're asking. Uh, give a backpack, and we're going to give 150 backpacks to students who need it before the start of school. And the what, reason we need it now is because they have to pack it with all the school supplies, and they're ready so that like, the kids are going in not worried about it. Is that cool? So you can sign up right here. There's a link. All you have to do is say, this is what we're going to do, this is how many backpacks. If you are one that still likes paper, you like to write on a piece of paper, you're like, I don't know, QR code, that's weird. I hate that kind of stuff. Some of you are like, yeah, you're, I'm with you. I hate that. Okay, cool. There's, there's a whole table back there that says Love Week on it where the backpacks are. A lot of you already brought backpacks. Thank you. That's awesome. See, we're already past 72. Um, but go back there, and you can sign up for what you want to do on that hard copy paper as well. All right? So all I want you to say is, what can I do? What can you give? All right? And we're going to be awesome because we're going to send 150 backpacks out to people who need it. All right? Cool. Oh, uh, Pastor Nick mentioned this too. If you get a backpack, everybody likes buying the backpacks for like the little ones. The 6th through 12th getters need backpacks also. 
So if you choose one, we need a lot more 6th through 12th grade backpacks, all right? So if you like the tran little transformer one, that's cool. You can get one of those, but maybe get a 6th through 12th grader as well, all right? Because uh, a junior in high school is not going to be like, Transformers! Optimus Prime, you know? It's just not how they're going to roll, right? All right. Sorry. See how my mind breaks? You don't know, but my mind is going 100 miles an hour sideways all the time while I'm up here. Okay, here we go. The year is 1944. We've been in World War II for several years. The entire world's been at war. At this point in 1944, Nazi Germany has control of basically the entire landmass of Europe. I have a map to show you how this looks. All of the spots in red is what Nazi Germany controls at this point. Here's the issue with that. The issue is that all of the edges of that is ocean. And so the Allies, they have a conundrum. They have to get at Germany, but they can't get at Germany until they get onto the landmass of Europe. You can't just drop a bunch of people in. They're just going to be taken out. And so the Allies come up with a plan. They decide that they're going to send a massive force to the shores of France. You guys have heard of this. You know the famous battle that this results in. We know it as D-Day. D-Day was simply this massive invasion force that we as the Allies sent in to try to start pushing back against Nazi Germany. A massive contingent of soldiers Airplanes, naval vessels, artillery were launched against the shores of France on the 6th of June, 1944. It became known as D-Day. It turns out that it was the critical battle. It was the turning point in World War II for us to begin to push back against Nazi Germany. This was the beginning of the end for Nazi Germany. It would be a little bit less than a year later, and we would have their surrender in May of 1945. Now, I get excited about this partly because it's history, but I'm just telling you, this is a big deal. That battle, D-Day, was critical. It was critical. It was important. So why do I bring that up here this morning? Well, starting today and for the next four weeks, I'm going to talk to you about the most critical battle in your life. Woo! Aren't you glad you came today? Like, wow, I didn't know we were going to be that important. It's the most critical battle that you will face in your life. Because this battle, this war, affects all of your life. Everything. Every single day, it affects all of your life. So today, we start a brand new series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Now, if you are sitting here thinking, man, I've heard that somewhere before, that's because you have. Because there's this really famous pastor guy named Craig Groeschel, and he wrote a book of the same title, Winning the War in Your Mind. I'm just, let, let, me, let me just ask you, where do you think we got the idea from? <laughs> we just used a different graphic, right? Because I kind of liked the boxing gloves coming out of the brains. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Right? 
But this, I just want to give, uh, this, there's two reasons I'm mentioning and holding up this book. There's two reasons. One, we need to give credit where credit is due. The vast majority of the content, main points, and even some of the illustrations come out of this book. Give Pastor Craig Rochelle credit for what he is due. This series is going to be based on what he writes in this book. So just so you know, if you love the content, he gets the credit. If you hate the content, he gets the credit. Cool? The other reason I bring it up is, this is a really good book. You should read it. You should. You're not going to like it, though. I promise you that. You won't. You know why? Because he calls you out. And he says, your mind is a bit of a mess. You have a battle going on in your mind, and you don't even realize it most of the time. And you need to start winning it. And he's going to confront you. And that's what we're going to do in this series. And so we need to learn what it looks like to win the war in our mind. We've got to confront the lies that we are telling ourselves or that the enemy, in this case it's Satan, is telling you. And so for the next few weeks we're going to dig in. Woo, aren't you excited? We're going to get into your brain. We're going to get into your mind. We're going to get into your thought life. So what I'm going to do today is, you probably figured this out already, but I'm going to use D-Day as our backdrop, as our illustration, our kind of overarching uh, framework to tackle three things that we need to understand, that we need to get today in order to start winning the battle in our mind, in our thought life. All right, number one, we need to get the right foothold. We need to get the right foothold. So the main reason for D-Day Why was it so critical? We know we attacked the shores of France, but why did the Allies kind of confront Nazi Germany on the shores of France? Why did did we do that? That was a huge risk. Well, the reason was because we needed to gain a foothold on mainland Europe. We needed to carve out a space, and I have a little graphic that kind of shows you how we did this. So uh, if you look a little bit further north, you can't see it on there, but England is just above this map. Okay, so we sent our forces from England down to the shores of France. And you can see we had two spots that the U.S. landed, two spots that the British landed, and one spot that the Canadians landed. They each had a different beach front that they were attacking. And we all coordinated this attack at the same time. Why did we do that? D-Day was all about gaining a foothold in mainland Europe so that we could begin dropping supplies and artillery and tanks and everything else onto the mainland so that we can start pushing Nazi Germany back and win the war. We needed a foothold. We needed somewhere to attack from. We had to win this critical battle in order to win the war. Now, all of those countries had to agree that that's what we're doing, right? They all had to agree. Let me just tell you that it took a while to get to that point. The U.S. and the British and the Canadians, they all had different strategies. Some wanted to come up through Italy. Some wanted to start a new front on the eastern front. Some wanted to come up from Africa, from North Africa, because we had had, started having a little bit of success in North Africa at this point. They all had different ideas, but the U.S. pushed for a frontal attack on the shores of France because they felt like that was the quickest, safest, best way, it was a little bit risky, but safest way to start pushing Nazi faster, Nazi Germany. Now, here's what's interesting. God 
and science agree about the most critical battle in your life. Sometimes you might think, that's kind of rare, God and science agreeing. Well, the truth is God created science, so not really. But sometimes we get that. We pit the two against each other. Well, God and science agree that what you think is what you will do. They agree. There's a whole psychology and, 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 and physiology and, and, and neurology is all wrapped around this understanding that as your brain goes, so goes the rest of your life. It's true. What you think is what you will do. In fact, nothing that you do can happen without it starting here, right? You guys know I'm spastic. My arms move, my, I talk. The way that I am, I'm sorry. It's my brain. It's just how it is. I can't do anything. I can, literally can't even stand without my brain. As I'm thinking is what I'm doing. So let me give you a couple of truths today that are not only true for today, they're true for this whole series and they're true for your life. You're not going to enjoy these two truths but we have to understand that they're truth. And of course, these come out straight out of Craig Groeschel's book. Truth number one. The battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. Like it or not, the battle for your life is won or lost in your mind. Truth number two. Your thoughts will control you, so you have to control your thoughts. Your thoughts are going to control you. So you have to be in control of your thoughts. So these are true truths, and, the, and Scripture backs this up. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says. It says, for though we live in the world, did you guys know that? We live in this world, right? We live on planet Earth. Okay, good. We live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, there's talking about followers of Christ, Christians, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, these weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension. You know what pretension is? It's a prideful claim. It's if I were to stand up here and be like, I am the greatest pastor who has ever lived. That's a pretension. Because all of you know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. Nice try. That's a pretension. It's prideful. We demolish arguments and pride that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then notice what it says. And we take captive. We capture every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is this talking about? What it's talking about is we need to give the strongest, best foothold in our brain, in our mind, in our thought life to God. We need to give that foothold to God. Because you and I, here's the truth, and, and, and I'm already off my notes, but it's okay. Pastor Craig, in his book, he talks about this. You don't have the power to defeat your brain problem. Oh, I know that's a very un-American thing to say. We're Americans. We figure it out. Okay? You don't have the power to defeat your brain. You know why? Because God didn't give you that power. You know why? Because he wants you to rely on him. Hmm. Your thought life needs to be surrendered to God in order to win the war. It's funny how surrendering wins you a war. But in God's world, it does. 
And so this is what it's talking about. It's giving a foothold to God so that he can then give you the power to defeat the problems, the lies, the thoughts that are tearing you down. And so let me just pause for a moment before we go to number two. Who's got the greatest foothold in your brain, in your thought life right now? Is it you? Is it God? Is it Satan? We can look good on the outside, but then the things we believe on the inside is, is how we actually act out. What do you believe? Who's, who's controlling that? All right. So you've got to get a good foothold. You've got to have the right foothold. But then you've got to go one step further because if you have a good foothold, what do you think Nazi Germany tried to do as soon as we gained a foothold in France? They counterattacked, didn't they? They came back at us. They came back at the Allies. And so the second thing is we, can, we have to remember, don't be deceived. We cannot be deceived. Don't let the lies get into your head. So let's go back to D-Day, okay? Deception is a part of the enemy's plan. God's plan is truth. The enemy's plan is deception. They want to deceive. He wants to deceive you into believing things that are absolutely not true. So let's go back to D-Day. Remember that map that I just showed you a moment ago? Look at the names of the beaches. We've heard of probably some of them, at least the U.S. ones, because we're U.S. and we're like, the Americans are the best, you know. And so we learn about our part of the history. We forget that there were other countries involved in this D-Day thing. There were. In fact, I'll tell you how many here in just a little bit. But you see Utah Beach, Omaha Beach, Gold Beach, Juno Beach, Sword Beach. These are not the names of the beaches. You understand, this is France. Their names for their beaches are in French. <laughs> not in English, okay? So why did we call them Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword? Because they're code names. We don't want Nazi Germany to know what beach we're going to... We're going to attack La 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 Toile Beach. I, I just made that up. I don't know what beach it is. Right? Sounded kind of French though, right? Can you tell I'm not French? Yeah. Well, if we call it that beach, then what does Nazi Germany do? They're like, uh, I think they're going to attack here. <laughs> Let's load everybody up. And it's a slaughter. That would be dumb. We have code names for the beach. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but D-Day was a part of a much larger operation, code name Operation Overlord. If you've read your history, you'll know actually it was part of, it was just a small piece of uh, a whole thing called Operation Overlord, this whole plan to start pushing Nazi Germany back. D-Day was critical in uh, achieving Operation Overlord, but that was a big thing. There was also another operation that a lot of people never heard of. Probably you've heard of D-Day. You've probably heard of Operation Overlord, but have you heard of Operation Fortitude? Yeah, nobody's heard of that. You know why? Operation Fortitude was the deception strategy of the Allies to make Nazi Germany think we were going to attack Norway or somewhere else in France. So I have a picture of this. We have a, we have a satellite image of the English Channel. So in this satellite image, the north, that northern landmass is England. That southern landmass land is France. And then that dark, of course, in between is the Atlantic Ocean, what we call the English Channel. Okay? And so what we did is we subversively, through spies, through radio contact, through all kinds of things and code names, 
We helped Nazi Germany believe that we were going to attack, and we have a circle that's going to pop up right there, uh, near what is now known as Calais, France. That's where Nazi Germany thought we were going to attack. But where we actually attacked was the beaches of Normandy, which is down to the southwest. It makes sense that we would attack. Look at how narrow the English Channel is there. It makes sense that we would attack, which is why we use that as the deceptive strategy. We deceived Nazi Germany so that they were not prepared for the attack, and then we attacked on the beaches of Normandy. It's part of the reason why D-Day was successful. We attacked where Nazi Germany was not ready. Why do I bring that up? You probably already know. This is exactly what Satan does to you. He attacks you where you don't think he's attacking. In your thoughts. You're like, but that's inside. He can't get there. Ah. Have you ever heard this quote? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. If he can convince you that he can't get into your brain, that he's not in your thoughts, then he's already won. It's true. Because... It's kind of like having a thief in your house. If you don't know there's a thief in your house and stuff keeps disappearing, but you trust everybody that's in your house, what are you going to you're going to be you're going to start like, how did they get in? Man, how did they get in here? Where, where's my stuff going? You don't even know you've got a thief in your house. You got a thief in your house. And it's the devil. And he's trying to lie to you to get you to believe things that are absolutely not true. Now, the apostles, they knew how wily the devil was. In fact, Peter, the apostle Peter, he reminds us how dangerous Satan is. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, when we hear that verse, I think, I, this is sometimes where I've gone, I'm like, the enemy, the devil is like a lion prowling around. And, and probably, here, maybe this is what you're thinking. You're like, well, that's easy. Just don't go toward the lion. Right? How many of you see a lion? Like you go on a safari, what's the, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to get out of the vehicle, you're going to run at the lion, you're going to, I'm going to go pet him. Most of you, probably not. Right? Most of you are not. My brother's a little crazy, he might do that. Most human beings, they're not going to do that. Why? Because you know inherently a, a lion is dangerous and it probably wants to eat you. At least attack you if you threaten it. But here's the key part of this. It's not that just Satan is like a lion. It's that he's like a lion that is prowling, looking for someone to devour. Now, when a lion is just being a lion, what are they doing? They're laying under a tree. Have you seen that National Geographic? They lay in their prize. They're just, they find the nearest tree and they're just like, they splay themselves out. And they're as lazy as can be. But when they are seeking something to devour, what are they doing? They're not visible. They find the tallest grass they can. They're crouching down. They get their entire pride together. They set the trap, and then they spring the trap. And what do they do? They cause damage. They cause destruction and death. 
A lion's built for death, but it's only built for death because you can't see it coming. Satan is not laying around like the lazy lion. Satan is like the prowling lion waiting to devour you. And so he's messing right up here. He's messing with you. He's messing with your thoughts. If it seems like you can't defeat things in your life, maybe it's not so much because God is failing you as much as you failing to see and understand who God says you are. And that you don't have to give in to the lion. And that you need to watch out for the lion. Satan wants to get you. So how do we defeat Satan? Well, we need to make sure this is not focused on anything else but God. In fact, Philippians 4.8 says this. Listen to what it says. It says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. This is quite a list, isn't it? Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Let's just pause for a moment. Just leave that up there for a moment. Think about your thought life for a minute. By the way, that's an inherently only human thing that we can do. Did you know that you can think about whether or not you should be thinking about something? No other creature on planet Earth can do that. You have a conscience. You know why? Because God gave it to you. Think about why God gave us the ability to think about what we're thinking about. Because he wants you to think about what you're thinking about and consider whether or not it's good, whether it's right, whether it's pure, whether it's excellent, whether it's worthy of praise. How many of you would say everything you watch, everything you listen to, everything you think about is excellent and worthy of praise? Like if God was in there and all of your thoughts are just being projected onto the wall all the time and God is sitting there just watching it, how many of you would be like, yeah, yeah, oh, oh, mm, sorry about that one. Right? Our thoughts What are you fixated on? What are you concentrating on? What are you always being consumed by? That's what this verse is talking about. All right. I want to just stay and play around in that one, but we got to keep going. You guys will appreciate it because you can actually eat lunch today. Okay. Number three. You have to sacrifice to win. Here's my greatest fear from today. My greatest fear is that you're going to walk out and you're going to just go back to doing life like you've always been doing it. That's my fear for today. My fear is that you're going to go back and you're going to keep believing the lies that Satan has poured into you since you were a kid, since you were a teenager. My fear is that that you will not take the step that it takes to defeat Satan in your life. Let me go back to D-Day. So D-Day didn't just happen, you understand. It wasn't like they just woke up one day and said, we should probably just attack some shores of France. Where do you think? Normandy? All right, let's go. Didn't work that way. Let me give you some statistics from D-Day. D-Day included a total Allied soldiers involved, 156,115 soldiers. One battle. It's a massive amount of humanity. 
that's being poured into harm's way. Total air aircraft supporting the invasion, 11,590. Have you even ever seen 11,590 planes? I, mean, I, mean, I, I can't even imagine the skies being filled with that many planes. I can't even imagine it. Total naval vessels, 6,939 naval vessels, like surface craft on the water. Can you imagine the English Channel filled with craft. This is, this is unbelievable. This is crazy. The logistics and the planning. And then let me give you one more stat. These are, these are, we know that the United States, the British, and the Canadians were involved, but did you know that there were a lot of other countries that sent soldiers to, to help with this? United States, Britain, Canada, Belgium, Norway, Poland, Luxembourg, Greece, Czechoslovakia, New Zealand, Australia, and yes, even France had some commandos that survived when Nazi Germany conquered them, and they were involved in this attack. In other words, it, it took a massive amount of sacrifice on the part of people and countries to accomplish this battle. It was all or nothing. It's going to take some sacrifice on your part to defeat the enemy in your head. You're going to have to believe that he's there and you're going to have to believe enough that it's important enough to tackle this. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy, don't follow, don't be like the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you that's a really strong version of change. Transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me ask you this. Can God do this instantly? Is it possible for God to transform you into a new person by changing the way you think in a snap? Can God do that? The answer to that is yes. But the question I have for you is, is that how you normally see it happen? I, I know that there are stories about this happening, so I know it can happen. I also know God is possible with God. But at least in my experience working with people, I don't usually see this happen overnight. It's a process. It's small, incremental changes over time where you say, I surrender to you, God. That lie doesn't, that doesn't apply to me. That's not right. That's not truth. God, I trust you. I believe you. Again and again and again and again. Little changes that add up over time to become big changes. Right? Because what we know is it takes over time. And, and what happens is, and by the way, we know this is true because this is how Satan gets you. Right? Satan doesn't get you and be like, make you make one huge, massive choice. And all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm going to stop going to church. Church sucks. I'm done. As of today. That's not usually how people wake up and be like, nope, I'm done. You know what usually happens? It's a slow trickle. Things start infiltrating. Well, the pancake breakfast is pretty cool. I mean, we get to see planes, and we get to maybe fly in a plane, and we get to have pancakes. That's better than church. So we'll do that. Oh, I know, I'm picking on Wanakee now. I'm sorry. I'm just saying. And then all of a sudden, you wake up three years later. You haven't been to church in a year. 
It's a slow trickle. It's exactly how Satan does it. But what if we flipped the script on Satan and we use that slow, small, incremental changes that exponentially grow over time and all of a sudden you look back and you say, wow, how did I get here? How did I live in this amazing truth like this? It was you winning the little battles in your mind over time and then God says, look how far we've come. I love how Craig Groeschel puts this in his book. He says this. He says, 10 years from now, you're going to get up. You're going to look in the mirror 10 years from now. And there's a person that's going to be looking back at you in the mirror. That person is a result of all the decisions you're going to make from now until then. It's not your environment. It's not the people around you. It's not how you grew up. It's not how you didn't grow up. Not how much money you have or you didn't have. The person staring back at you, whether you like it or not, is based on, as a result of, the decisions that you've made over time. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? What person do you want to be looking back? What person do you want to be looking back? Craig says this in his book. He says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What are your strongest thoughts? What direction are you headed? See, here's the truth. Satan says to you, I know this because some of this is recorded in God's word. Satan says to you, you are not good enough. That's what he says. That's what he's telling you. He's been telling you that his whole life and your whole life. You're not good enough. You know what God says? God says, you'll never be good enough, but it doesn't matter because I died for you and all you have to do is follow me. That's the truth. Do you see what Satan does? Satan says, you're not good enough. And I'm here to tell you, yeah, you're not. Neither am I. I'm never going to be. When I try to measure up to God, I can't measure up to God. Talk to my family. They'll know. Dad does not measure up to God. I mean, you think, but, but seriously, we kind of think like as a pastor, you know, you, well, at least Brent measures up to God. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean anything. All it means is that God called me to do this. That's it. It doesn't mean that I don't struggle any more than you do or any less. Satan says you're not wanted. You're not wanted. Nobody wants you. You know what God says? God says, you're adopted. I want you. That's the whole point of Jesus. Yeah, we hear about Jesus all the time, cross, all kinds of stuff. You know what that was? That was his adoption plan. He's like, I want you to have a way to join my family. That's Jesus. Satan says, you're a sinner. And God says, yep, you are a sinner. Saved by grace if you want it. Satan says, you're not loved. You never were loved. You're never going to be loved. And God says, you are loved. I loved you first. You're worth dying for. In fact, I already did that. The 
Craig also says in his book, he says this, he says, you are not Satan's prisoner of war unless you choose to be. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to end just a little bit different. It's similar, but a little bit different. Normally we stand and sing, but today it doesn't feel like that's probably right because here's the truth. There are a lot of lives that, lies that we believe. I know you've got a good strong face on right now. I know. But some of you, uh, we just came back from a conference where on Thursday night we got really, really vulnerable with a group of people. And people admitted that they were never loved in their family. Ever. People admitted that, that they feel like they're kind of frauds in their life. They don't belong. They're not worthy. The truth is that our thoughts are telling us things that are not true. They're not reality. But you're believing them. And so what we're going to do is we're in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. You've heard of it many times. You've heard it many times. You say. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit and I want you to listen for what God is going to tell you. Because your thoughts are telling you you're not worth it. You're never going to measure up. I'm not good enough. Maybe you grew up with abuse. And so your parents, through that abuse, they, they taught you that you're worth nothing. You're just something to be used. And you've believed it your whole life. You've carried it all the way till now. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm here to declare the truth over you, that you are a child of God. And it simply takes one step back to God. And he'll say, oh, no, you are adopted and that you are loved. Just join me. I'll give you a hug. I'm not going to manipulate or abuse you. I'm going to love you. We have people in here who believe they're never going to measure up. And I'm here to tell you, you don't need to. Because God already loves you and died for you. And he wants you to just say, turn around, turn to him, run to him, and his arms are ready to go. That's it. Don't believe the lies. Believe God's truth. Believe what he says you are. So as we sing this song, as it says on the front of Craig's book, you know what it says, other than winning the war in your mind? It says, change your thinking, change your life. Change your life. Believe God's truth. Let's listen to what God says, who you are, that truth, and let's live according to that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
The truth is, I know in this room, there are a lot of lies that people have believed. There are some people in here, Lord, who they had a divorce or a breakup that is still controlling their life to this day. They, they, they've been analyzing what they did wrong. They've been analyzing the wrong decisions they made. They've been analyzing why they didn't measure up for that person. They've been analyzing what they could have done different. They've been living in this zone. They've been living in fear. And maybe it's even affected the, every relationship they've had since. God, I pray that you would remind them of the truth, that they are loved and that we don't live in the past. We are not chained down by the past but we are living for the future and what you are calling us to. There are people in here who are living in stuck in addiction. It started with a beer. It started with maybe some marijuana, that gateway drug. It seemed innocent, seemed fine. Then all of a sudden they rolled in and then all of a sudden something else. There's more pills. Now it's on to meth. Now it's something else. And God, it feels like they're trapped. They can't get out and they don't believe they'll ever be out. God, show them the truth that you show them the way out, that you've given them the path out. All they have to do is believe it, trust it, walk into it. God, the lies, the lies are pressing us down. May you give us and show us and demonstrate to us the truth. The truth of who you are, the truth of who we are. Help us listen to what you say, God, not what Satan says. So in this moment, deal with us. Work on us. Speak to us. Confront the lies. And give us the truth. We pray and ask this. In your name, Jesus. Amen.